Good morning, church. Uh, we are about to start a new series of messages, and it's a series of messages that's pretty pertinent to what we've all experienced this past year. Uh, you know and I know this past year has been unprecedented in all of our lives. Uh, all kinds of things have happened that have put us in a state of uncertainty. It seems like everything is destabilized. It seems like somebody took all the pieces of our lives that have been so predictable and ripped them to shreds, tossed them up in the air, and now they're just all floating in pieces. We, we not only feel uncertain and confused, we feel scared. We feel worried at times. Uh, not a few are probably discouraged. Simultaneous with this, there's this growing spirit of hostility, uh, of discontent. There's an anger. You know it and I know it. You see it all the time. There's, there's sort of this suspicion of one toward another. We are dividing ourselves into smaller and smaller and smaller groups, and we seem to be opposing one another for reasons that don't make sense. We seem to be magnifying the things that we have differences on and ignoring the multiple things that we have uh, similarities on. All this is happening, and some of us, because of the tumult of this past year, we find ourselves saying, what is going on? Nothing seems to make sense anymore. Everything seems to be crazy. What's going on? Now, what if, what if what is going on is totally rational, totally predictable? In fact, it, it's, as in, it, it's as exact as a mathematical problem. Let, let, let me give you an example where, where I'm going with this. What if what we are seeing is similar to this? Pretend that my two arms were scales. We've all seen those scales, you know, the scales of justice or whatever. But let's say on this side, my left-hand side, uh, you have a one-pound weight. On the other side, you have a hollow uh, goldfish bowl. Okay, so it's down. Oh, excuse me, it'd be the opposite. So it's down and the goldfish bowl is up in, in the air. But the goldfish bowl is quite capable of holding quite a bit. So now someone starts to slowly pour in sand into the goldfish bowl. Well, the one pound weight is still in control, still controls everything, but the more the, the tiny, tiny little grains of sand, but they're multiple, the, the more of those that pour in, something starts to happen until finally that one pound weight starts to move, it, it lifts up, and it finally reaches a place, if you pour enough sand in, tiny as the sand is, there's so many pieces, but they're, they're tiny, it equals out, but then it reaches what we call a tipping point. You keep adding the sand until all of a sudden, the sand now goes to the bottom, the one pound weight is up in the air, the sand is now in control. Even though the sand is just tiny, tiny, tiny things, it is the multiplicity of these tiny things that reach a certain tipping point, and when that happens, everything changes. Folks, I'm here to tell you, the Spirit of God has made this crystal clear in God's Word. We're talking about not some future time, we're talking about you and I, we're talking about right now, we have reached a spiritual, prophetic tipping point in our life. And there's a multiple reasons for it. It's, it's not bewildering. It's not confusing. It's not something that we can't understand. In fact, it's crystal clear once we do understand what God has revealed some 2,000 years ago in His Word. So 
I want to read a portion of scripture to you as I, you know, kind of get into this, this whole series. And the series is called What's Going On? And, and here's the thesis behind it. Here, here's what I know to be true of being a human being. What I can't understand, I usually can't stand. But what I can understand to some degree, even though I may not like it, if I can understand it to some degree, I can usually stand it. So, so that's kind of the, the background idea behind this series. We need to understand what's going on. And if we understand what's going on, we're going to be able to stand it much better than if we don't understand it. We, we've all seen, you know, the, uh, or we've all heard the, the old cliche that, you know, we can be like an ostrich that when trouble comes or a problem comes, we, we bury our heads in the sand. Well, we, we don't want to do that because it obviously it doesn't accomplish a thing. So how much better to know what's going on so that we can understand. And if we can understand, we'll be better able to stand what's going on. All right, I'm going to read you a portion of Scripture. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I'm going to read you just verses 1 through 5. And this entire series is going to stay right here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. A little background. This is the last writing of the Apostle Paul. He's been a follower and a servant of Jesus now for 32 years. He knows he is going to be martyred by Nero. It's the first big Christian persecution by Rome. He knows his death is impending. He's writing his final instructions to Timothy, who has also followed Paul now for about 22 years working with him. And so that's kind of the context of this. Here's what Paul, knowing these are some of his last words, led by the Spirit of God. This is what Paul says to Timothy then, more importantly, to you and I now. I mean now, not some ethereal time in history. I mean now. So let me read it to you. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. Know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, slanderers, unrestrained, fierce, despisers of those who are good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness or spirituality, but denying its power. And Paul says to Timothy, turn away from such people. Now what we're going to do each week, we're, we're going to fasten on certain portions and expand on them. The first portion that I want to fasten on today is the phrase that says, men will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of themselves. But first we've got to get past this, this first verse where it says, know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Well, some of you might be thinking, well, Randy, you know, when the scripture talks about the last days, sometimes it's just talking about the time when Jesus came. For example, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, it says, In these last days God has spoken to us through His Son. There's two different ways that last days is used in scripture. The one is exactly like I, the verse I just quoted to you from Hebrews 1, 2. The final revelation that God is giving of Himself, the culmination of it in Christ and in the New Testament 
that has come. Those last days have come and gone. In AD 96, when the Apostle John wrote the book of Revelation, led by the Spirit of God, the last days of God's progressive revelation of Himself were completed. But then Jesus, as well as multiple Old Testament prophets and in the New Testament, talk consistently about a different last days, and these are the last days just before the return of Jesus Christ. These are the, the closing years of human history. Clearly, clearly, Paul is writing to Timothy about those last years. In fact, Jesus talked about them in Matthew 24, verse 8, and he, he considered them like the birth pains of a woman, a woman prepared to have childbirth. In Matthew 24, 8, he says, he gives a numerous uh, bunch of signs in Matthew 24 about the things that are going to be occurring before he returns, and he calls them the beginning of birth pains. Paul uses the exact same language again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. Each time it's talking about conditions on earth just prior to the second coming of Christ. Make no mistake about it. When it says here, know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. And then it starts listing off why. It's talking about the society that will be existent on the planet just prior to the return of Christ. Notice the first thing that it says, perilous times will come. Now, I don't like hearing that, and I know you don't like hearing that. We have none of us enjoyed this past year, but we couldn't do an awful lot about it. And when God tells His people perilous times are coming, dangerous times are coming, difficult times are coming, uh, times that we don't want are coming, why does He do this? Well, you know and I know He's doing this to try to awaken us, to try to warn us, to try to acclimate us, to try to prepare us, because, once again, what we understand, we can usually stand better. So we're going to zero in on this first group. It says, Know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves. Now it mentions they'll be lovers of money, and it says they'll be without natural affection, verse 3. And in verse 4 it says lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And we'll touch on those in different messages. But today I just want to zero in on this lovers of themselves. What is it talking about? It is talking about a supreme self-absorption. It's a supreme regard for ourselves. Now, I, I want to dig in, and I want to consider this a little more thoroughly, but before I do, I want to answer a question that's probably in some of your mind. Randy, how can you be so sure, how can you be so sure that we're in the last days? Are you trying to tell me, Randy, that we're in the last seven years before the Lord Jesus returns? Or are, are we in the start of the, what the Scripture calls the tribulation period? Some of you are familiar with that. No, I'm not saying that necessarily. But I'm not not saying that either. But what I am saying is we are most certainly in the time that this is talking about the last days. They may be the last days leading up to the beginning of birth pains in the last seven years, or they may already be the start of those. We won't know until some things happen geographically with some other nations in the Middle East that the Bible has predicted in advance. Uh, thousands of years in advance. But I'm going to give you a few other th reasons why I know it is the last days, why we are the generation. I want to give you a big consideration. They estimate that about 108 billion people have ever lived and died on planet Earth. You and I are part of that, 108 billion. Of the 108 billion people that have lived and died on Earth, how many do you suppose have lived the way you and I do? Well, well, let me give you something to think about. We're, we're, we're hearing right now about these terrible power outages in Texas, and anybody that's been without power, we know it is a jolt, man. We don't even know how to survive without power anymore. 
But are we aware that we are literally weird? <laughs> we are literally, I know you don't like to be called weird, but we are weird, historically speaking. Of the 108 billion people that have ever lived and died on planet Earth, there's about three to five percent that have had electricity. Most of the people, 95, 97% of the human beings that have ever lived and died on this planet did not have electricity. What you and I freak out about now, if we lose it for an hour or two or a day, 95 to 97% of human beings never had it at all. Now, you know and I know since electricity hit society, we have had this explosion of knowledge. If we were to look at a graph of, of knowledge through human history, 108 billion people who ever lived and died on planet Earth, the graph would be just kind of flat, maybe just goes up a little bit, a little bit. But then when you get into the Industrial Revolution, and more importantly, you get into, let's say, 1950, it would just shoot up like a rocket off the charts. And it's doubling every two to three years, knowledge is. We are living in unprecedented times. Because we were born into it, we don't know it. That's the old question. Does a fish know that it's in water? I doubt it, because it's always been in water. You and I don't know how weird we are, how weird and anomalous our generation is, because we were born into it. But 95 to 97% of the people that ever lived and died, they didn't have televisions, they didn't have cell phones, they didn't have computers, they didn't have worldwide, worldwide internet connections. We could go on and on and on. We are the first generation of human beings to experience this. These things are culminating at a time where simultaneously, just like the Word of God said, Israel has been reborn as a nation, 1948, regained their capital of Jerusalem, 1967. There's a convergence an unprecedented convergence and the tumult that we have experienced this past year I believe with all my heart is because we have reached a tipping point in human history and this tipping point is talking about this particular thing we're in for some difficult times some perilous times and I hope that some of you right now are not saying, oh man I don't want to hear this this scares me this discourages me this just brings me down why did God put this here? Why would a God who loves us more than we love ourselves put this here? Because He knows what we can understand, we will better be able to stand. All right, so let's break this down. Lovers of themselves. Love is this God-given capacity that we humans have. We have this capacity to, to love the way God Himself loves. In fact, all of life is about learning to love the way God loves and to live the way that God lives. That's the only way that free moral beings can enjoy life for eternity together. So God's love is always outgoing. It's always unselfish. It's always other-oriented. It's always seeking the highest well-being and good of others. It's always considerate and, and sympathetic. And, and our love is meant to develop in those same ways. But when our love turns in on ourselves, when I become the subject of my supreme devotion, dedication, when life is and everything in it is all about me, all things considered, I corrupt, I corrupt this tremendous gift, this capacity to love that God has given to me. And it's an unreasonable corruption. Let me explain to you why. You see, when I put supreme devotion on myself, and when you put supreme devotion on yourself, you know and I know 
that if we believe that there's a, there's a supreme being, a creator being, he is more important than us. So he would deserve at least as much attention as we give ourselves. And we also know that other human beings are equal to ourselves. We know that. We may not live on it, but we know that. So this corruption of turning in on ourselves and making life all about ourselves, loving ourselves supremely, it's unreasonable. We know that God ought to be loved and so should people be loved as much, at least as much as we love ourselves. So it's an unreasonable corruption of a beautiful gift and capacity that God gave to us as human beings. Now, when we corrupt this capacity to love and we become supreme lovers of ourselves, supreme regard for ourselves, we end up dehumanizing other beings, other humans, and we exploit them. So this, this creates, this, this corruption, this unreasonable corruption creates a dehumanizing exploitation of others. Well, what do you mean by that exploitation? It means this. I start looking at people without even thinking about it. I start looking at it. What are you going to do for me? How are you going to help me? What, what good are you to me? I start exploiting people without even thinking about it. I start using people because I have turned in on myself this capacity that God gave me to love. I've uh, unreasonably placed the supreme attention on myself, I start to dehumanize people. They become things that either serve me or don't serve me. They either help me to pursue what I want and get what I want, when I want, how I want it, or they don't. The next thing that that brings, when I have an unreasonable corruption of this capacity to love that produces a dehumanizing exploitation of others, inevitably I become frustrated. Now this is the crazy part. The more I love myself, the more I serve myself, the more I try to get everyone and everything else in life to make life work for me, to go the way I want it, the more vulnerable to frustration I become. The more I have, the more I want. The more my demands go up. One of the reasons that society today, people are so angry, is because they demand more and more and more. And part of it is because of technology. You see, through most of human history, 95, 97% of humans ever lived, they didn't know what was going on on the other side of town or the other side of the world or the other side of their country. They couldn't see what anybody had, what they, what they lived with or what they lived without. Today, it doesn't matter where you're at in the world, you can, you can turn on a screen and you can see certain people having all kinds of things that look to be enjoyable, that look to be desirable, but you may not have them. So now you're frustrated. Now you, you're, you're jealous. You, you have demands and we become angry as a society. Listen to what it says in James 3.15. It says, jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For whenever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. We've hit a tipping point and we've turned in on ourselves. We think we're the center of the universe. And the more we believe that, the more frustrated we become because we don't get what we want. And when we get what we want, we find it's still not enough. And then we get hostile, we get angry, we get envious, we get jealous. We see someone has something that we don't have and we want what they have. We feel like we deserve what they have. And that brings up the final thing that happens when our love turns in on ourself, it's a desensitizing deterioration that occurs in our capacities themselves. These capacities that God gave us to expand our love, to be likened to His own, they start to deteriorate, they start to atrophy. My capacity to understand others, it starts to deteriorate. My capacity to have sympathy for others, my understanding of, 
uh, the way others feel and the needs of others. They atrophy until I become more and more less capable of feeling or understanding others. I don't even know this deterioration is happening, but the more that I turn in on myself, the more life is just about me, the more this occurs and the deeper this deterioration comes. In the book of James, once again, in chapter 1, verse 14, it says, Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Notice it's our desire. When I love myself supremely, I'm desire-driven. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully, gro excuse me, fully grown, brings forth death. What we are seeing in society today, the anger of, of people, the suspicion of people, the division, the divisions that get smaller and smaller, ethnic divisions, economic divisions, racial divisions, political divisions, on and on it goes. This is not going to get better, folks. This is what Paul was saying. This is what the Spirit of God was saying. Perilous times are come. The tipping point has happened. Technology has exploded it. The little pieces of sand have reached the point now where the tipping point has occurred. And society and the mindset of the multitudes of people in society has been deeply, deeply changed. And one of the reasons is, is because everything in society, you think of commercialism, Commercials constantly bombard us around the clock with telling us what we should have, what we can have, what others have and we don't have. They seduce us. They make us dissatisfied more and more. And then we get angry. And then when we get a chance, we take something because we feel like we have it coming. And we create this, this angry, hostile, suspicious society where nobody's getting what they deserve. Really? This, this is the condition we find ourselves in today. Now, I'm going to show you a little chart. It should appear on your screen. And I want to show you this cycle. When our love goes wrong, the love that was meant to be given to God and to others equally. Um, you know, when Jesus said, love the Lord your God, Matthew 22, 37, 40, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. We have a tremendous distortion that day. We have people. We have people in the Church of God teaching you need to learn to love yourself. If you don't learn to love yourself, you'll never be able to learn to love somebody else. Jesus was never teaching that, never. He said, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself." Jesus took it for granted that we love ourselves. We take care of ourselves. The hard part is getting us to love God, who deserves supreme attention, and to love others who equally deserve attention that we do. This is a terrible corruption, and it's being taught constantly. It's it's taught in songs. It's taught in movies. It's taught in news articles. It's taught in magazines. It is a bombardment. We live in, in the, we're the first society on earth, folks. You gotta, you gotta get this part. We are the first society on earth, the first group of people that are taught around the clock. Screens teach us constantly, constantly. They're getting at our minds. They're getting at our psyches. They're getting at our point of view. And they are encouraging us to love ourselves supremely. And when that happens, here's this cycle. First of all, the corruption of this capacity to love. We were meant to love God and love others. Instead, we pour our devotion to ourselves. That corruption brings the exploitation of others. You're here to fix me, to, you, to, to, to meet my needs. I'm going to use you. I see others as people, something to use. Exploitation. The next part is frustration. You can never do enough. I, I've turned in on myself, and so I'll never be satisfied because I, I'm, I'm made to love God and love others. Satisfaction comes when I live in alignment with my design. And then that brings deterioration. Now, 
as Christ followers living in these perilous times, God warns us. He wants us to understand so we can stand it better. But He wants us also to counter it. So I, I want to give you a thought. Uh, the, the Mariana Trench, most of you have heard of it before, it's, it's the, supposedly the deepest place on earth in the ocean. Seven miles deep they've sent down these bath escapes to do uh, you know, research and things like that. Seven miles of ocean. We're talking millions and millions and millions of gallons of water. But you know what? You could be in a little cheap John boat, you know, something about four feet wide, about 12 feet, 14 feet long. And in that little John boat, you could sit right on top of the Mariana Trench, seven miles of water underneath you. And that water would have no effect on you whatsoever. Now listen carefully where I'm going with this. That is, that is unless the water got inside your boat. We today are the first generation on the planet that is being deluged around the clock. We are being taught around the clock. We are being propagandized around the clock through our screens, okay, through the modern technology. We are the first. This is a, is a horrendous thing that's occurring. A vehicle that can be used for good, the teaching mechanisms, can also be used for evil. For the most part, it is being used for evil. It is, it is seducing us to love ourselves supremely, get what we want, when we want it, how we want it, do whatever we have to do to get it. And, and this is bringing tremendous destruction. So, so here, here's what it means for we as Christ followers. As pervasive as this false teaching is, it cannot, it need not hurt you and I as long as we keep it outside. All the water in the world can't, can't sink that little John boat unless it gets inside. All the foul, deceptive, seductive teaching in the world cannot rock you, cannot shake you, cannot mislead you, cannot confuse you as long as you don't let it get inside. That's why the scripture constantly tells us things like Romans 12 too. Uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Set your mind on heaven, on things above, not on things of the earth. We must, I, I, I'm just gonna say something. Some of you are gonna get insulted by this, but I'm gonna just tell you the truth. The days are long gone where you and I or anyone can afford to be lazy when it comes to knowing God's Word. They are gone. We are about to face the most powerful deception that any group of people has ever faced on the planet. In fact, I, I gave a whole discussion, a whole teaching on it. You can, you can go on our Bible Institutes and a teaching I did about the great deception. We are about to face things that are unimaginable. And if you are not rooted in God's Word, if God's Word is not rooted in you, I'm telling you, I'm not trying to make you angry or discourage you, you are likely to be deceived. It is, it is going to be so powerful, and we are already being brainwashed. This teaching, this false teaching that comes through our wires, it's in our songs, it's, it's in our advertisements, it's in everywhere. It's, it's misleading us. But we as Christ followers can renew our mind with God's truth and we can keep it out. The boat can't sink on the Mariana Trench unless the water from the Mariana Trench gets inside. So I'm going to speak to you as those that are, that are not going to let the false teaching that, that permeates our society today get in. So we should be able to counter this self-absorption that is being so encouraged in our society today. Listen to what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12. May the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow 
more and more. When I see the love of Christ, the, His love makes me want to learn how to love His way, to love Him, to love others more and more. Is it a process? Of course it is, because we tend to be selfish from our start. So let's look at what, it, what a counter would look like of this corrupted love, loving the right way, the way that God built us to love. First of all, it's a reasonable, open-hearted kind of a love. Philippians 2, verse 3, it says this, it says to Christ followers, do nothing out of selfishness or conceit. And that's what self-love does. It makes me think that I'm more important than I am, more important than God or anybody else. Do nothing out of selfishness or, or conceit, but with humility consider others more important than yourselves. What does it mean more important? Verse 4 explains it. Looking out not only for your own interest, but also the interest of others. God calls me to have a reasonable open-heartedness toward people, toward others, to think about them, not to think supremely uh, about myself. The second thing God calls us to do is to have an ennobling helpfulness. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 20, 26. He said, if you want to be great, He was telling this to His disciples who were arguing over who was the greatest amongst them. He says, if you want to be great, you must be the servant of all others. Greatness comes from this ennobling desire, God-given desire to help. I am here to serve you, to help you, to bless you. What, what can I do for you? As opposed to corrupted love says, what are you going to do for me? How are you going to serve me? What do I get out of you from this? God's love is just the opposite. It's an ennobling helpfulness. The third component is this. That brings, when, when I am walking through life with a reasonable openness, a consideration for others first, and then I'm helping them, that brings a surprising joyfulness. Whereas the other brings a frustration, this brings a surprising joyfulness. We're not looking for happiness per se. We're not looking for joy per se, but it kind of sneaks up on us. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 10, 28. It says, the prospect of the righteous is joy. Here's the truth about life. When you and I, knowingly or unknowingly, start living in alignment with the way God designed us, it brings joy. Joy is a totally spiritual thing. Joy is totally different from happiness. Joy is an internal sense of well-being and harmony and wholeness. It is more powerful than happiness. Happiness comes and goes. It's dependent upon circumstances. Joy is pervasive. It, it can live on. It is an eternal thing. And it comes when we live the way our Creator designed us to live. And He designed us to live as those that have a reasonable open-heartedness to others. If people are just as important to me, then my heart ought to stay open to them. And if people are as important to me, I ought to look through uh, life as to find ways to help them. And when I do this, it brings joy to my soul. And that brings the final thing that it brings, a growing Christ-likeness. When, when I'm willing to love the way God loves instead of the way society urges us to love ourselves first, me first, take care of yourself first above all things, then I start to look more and more like my Creator. Jesus, the last night He was with His disciples in John 13, 34, He said, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. When we start loving others the way that God loves us, we start looking more like our Creator. We start bearing His image, which is what He destined us to do from the very start. So, I want to close by giving you uh, an illustration that I hope you will find helpful because I know this is a series that some of you, you're, you're going to find a little bit difficult. So, 
It started out. Know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. Well, most of us have flown on an airplane from time to time, and uh, you know the experience that, you know, you're in your flight, and all of a sudden, the captain comes on. And you hear that little chime, and then the captain comes on, and he says, uh, you know, okay, we are running into some pockets of thunderstorms. We've been able to navigate around most of them. However, for the next 20 minutes, it's going to get pretty bumpy, so fasten your seatbelts. Now, <laughs> when the captain comes on and tells you it's going to be bumpy and fasten your seatbelts, if you're anything like me, you start to feel tension. You start to feel some fear. In fact, you're probably praying if you're like me, because I don't like to fly. Uh, at any rate, was the captain's purpose of coming on that intercom telling us that there's some thunderstorms they're trying to get around, but they can't, and there's going to be some turbulence for the next 20 minutes, so you better buckle up. Was his purpose to make you and I fearful? Was his purpose to make us discouraged? Was his purpose to, to put us in a state of panic? Or was his purpose, listen carefully, was his purpose to assure us it's going to be okay? We're going to get through this. Listen, that captain has been through so much turbulence. They, these, these experienced pilots, man, they fly right into the center of hurricanes. They know that airplane can take a lot of bumpiness. Their experience, that captain comes on there to give you and I understanding of what's going to happen so that we will better be able to stand what's going to happen. So this is what our loving God is doing. One generation sooner or later was going to be the generation that is the one that experiences the perilous times that will come leading up to the return of Christ and the birth of, of the beautiful eternal age that's soon to come. So I want to I put these two charts together and let you see. This is the choice we, we all are going to make. The first chart is this. We're either going to follow society and become more and more self-absorbed, more and more demanding, more and more spoiled. And what it's going to look like is this. You're going to have corruption, which leads to the exploitation of others, which leaves us more and more frustrated, more and more angry, more and more hostile, more and more suspicious. And that brings deterioration of our capacities. We, we don't even have the ability to care anymore. We don't have the ability to understand people anymore. We're, we're deteriorating and don't even know it. Or... We can walk through life with a God-intended open-heartedness and a helpfulness, and that will bring joy, joy and Christ-likeness. Now, I want to read you a sentence as I close this out. What's going on around us does not have to go on inside of us. Instead, it can build greater confidence in Christ when it's, while it's simultaneously giving us much-needed clarity and courage. I'm going to read that to you again. What's going on around us does not have to go on inside of us. Instead, it can build a greater confidence in Christ. Christ predicted this time. And so when it happens and we see it and we're in it, it should bolster our confidence in God and His Word. Instead, it, it, it can build greater confidence in Christ while simultaneously giving us much-needed clarity. We know, we understand what's going on so we can stand, and with the clarity comes courage. I know that that's what God wants to do. I know that we may look back and we may, we may find this particular series of messages may be one of the more important ones, maybe the most important one that's ever been given. At any rate, I think we can say confidently 
our, our God is trying to help us get some, some anchoring, some orientation. And I hope that your spirit will just take this journey with him so that we will not be those that say what's going on. We will be those that say, I know what's going on. I know why there's this crazy deterioration in society. I know why people are so angry. I know why people are so suspicious. I know why people are so divisive. I know why things appear to be coming unglued. We've reached that tipping point in history. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you look down through time and you prepare your people for each certain season that we may face in life. Thank you that, that you guide us and you watch over us and you always give us the wisdom and the strength we need when we need it. Give your people, I pray, confidence and calm as we enter into this truth and let this truth enter deeply into us that we might be those that not only know what's going on and understand what's going on, but who are able to stand what's going on to your honor, to your glory, and to the good of many others. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen.